0: Uh, I am not Pastor Rob, Uh, (laughs) my name is James Trevilian, and I'm the pastor to students and families here at Osterville Baptist Church. And uh, I I get excited about these missionary videos, especially as being kind of a relatively new face here at OBC, hearing that the church has supported missionaries like the Hutchinsons for, what's it, 20 something years? Um, That's incredible. Some churches will change their missionary support at the drop of a pin. And, and seeing that OBC has been so faithful in supporting these missionaries for so long, uh, that's a huge encouragement to me. Uh, Bible translation can be unglamorous work uh, and you know a lot of computer and behind the scenes kind of things. And knowing that, uh, that the Hutchinsons have put the first things first in their lives, uh, that is a huge encouragement to me and, and I, I'm just excited to hear about what they're doing. So how many of you were able to be here last Tuesday for one of our Christmas Eve services. Oh good, just almost everybody, almost. Uh, So just in case you missed it, um, I love Christmas Eve services. They're they're one of my favorite times of the year. There's something special about coming together and celebrating the birth of Christ uh, on on that night. There's something really special about that, and the candles, and Maybe it's just the opportunity to play with fire. I don't know. It's just—it's just, it's kind of fun to do that. Uh, you know, watching the kids get too close to the drapes, and you're like, eh. um, <laughs> but uh, Pastor Rob that night wrapped up our three-part series on Eternal Christmas, and he wrapped it up talking about heaven. Uh, does anybody remember the thing he did with the rope? Uh, okay, so let me recap, because uh, you either had figgy pudding in the brain, or maybe like Christmas preparation, or something. But just in case you missed it, um, he had this awesome box, and uh, inside of here was this lovely little rope. And uh, does anybody remember what the rope represented? Our life, Our life right? And so imagine that this rope goes out of this box all the way down Osterville Main Street into eternity. And anybody remember what the little teeny tiny red part represented? All right, yeah, I see a couple of you mouthing it. Good, okay, so, so you guys are listening. That's great. So this part represents the life that we have here on earth, whether that's 70 years, 100 years, 150 years, whatever. Um, this represents our life here on earth. And this part, going all the way down Main Street into eternity, represents everything else. And so, kids, you're here with us today. Help me out. Which part of the rope is longer? This, the little red part? Or this part that's coiled up in the box going all the way down Main Street into eternity. Which part is longer? Yeah, the rest of the rope, right? Not, not, not this part, but, but this part that keeps going down that way, right? And so that was the illustration that he used. And I don't know if he realized how awesome this was going to be, that this was just going to play right into what we're talking about today. Um, and so I'm, I kind of stole his illustration this morning. <laughs> but uh, that this rope represents the span of our life into eternity. And so if we're gonna focus on a part of our life, should we be focusing on that little teeny tiny red part or should we be focusing on the really, really long part? The really long part, right? It doesn't make sense to focus on this teeny tiny little piece when we have all of the rest of this ahead of us. And not just for us, but for those around us as well. So that makes a lot of sense on the surface, right? It's really easy to say that and to bring out a rope and to have that little piece with the red on it. It's easy to think that. Uh, But honestly, I sometimes get caught up in the things that don't even matter five minutes from now. I I get caught up in in little teeny tiny bits and pieces of things that, that just distract me from this part of the rope. And so maybe you're like me, maybe you've got, th- or maybe you're not like me and you've got things under control, uh, but I, I struggle. I, I, I struggle to keep my focus on the things that matter for eternity. How do we keep the first things first in our lives? Well, it should come as no surprise that Jesus actually gives us some really solid advice on how to keep first things first. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today. Crack open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, so it's easy to kind of open up to the back of your Bible and work your way up until you get to Matthew. Uh, It's sandwiched between Malachi and Mark. And uh, if you're using one of the blue Bibles that we have in the pew or in the seats there, let's see, pew, kind of remember how that used to be with the pews in the sanctuary. But uh, if you use the Bible in your seat, you can find where we'll begin on page 811. I'm going to throw that out there. You can cheat this morning. So this section in the book of Matthew is actually in the middle of Jesus' sermon on the mount, which spans from chapter 5 through chapter 7. And uh, this is where you'll find a lot of kind of famous and important teachings of Jesus Including the Lord's Prayer and the Beatitudes. And this passage that we're going to look at is is a fairly popular passage as well. We're going to focus today on verses 25 through 34. So follow along with me as I read. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, isn't the truth? <laughs> so if we're going to put first things first, we first have to know what the first thing is that should be first, right? Try saying that several times quickly. I had to practice that a couple times. What is the first thing? He says here, seek first the kingdom of God. So verse 33 kind of sums up the pivotal point of this passage. Normally people kind of wait till the end to give you the main point, but here it is right up front. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Roll the credits, right? If we're supposed to seek after God's kingdom, we have to know what God's kingdom is. What is God's kingdom? So normally we think of a kingdom as a place where a king rules, right? There's, there's a certain place, an area where there's a castle, and in that castle, there's the king, and that's, that's, that's the kingdom. That's where the king lives, right? So in that sense, God's kingdom would kind of be everything. God created the heavens. He created time. He created existence. And if a king's kingdom is his realm, then God's kingdom in that sense would be basically everything. Time, space, heaven, the gingerbread cookies you had last week— Those would all be a part of God's kingdom. But earlier in the book of Matthew, in chapter 3, verse 2, John the Baptist begins preaching, and one of the things that he says is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what does it mean when something is at hand? It hasn't come yet. It's on its way. So by saying the kingdom is at hand, John is indicating that it's on its way, and it hasn't arrived yet. And then Jesus in Matthew 4.17 also begins preaching the same thing, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So wait a minute, how could it be that the kingdom of heaven is at hand if it was already here and Jesus and John were actually living in God's kingdom? So obviously they're talking about something a little bit different. I'm going to borrow some terminology from John Piper, and in this terminology, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven refers not just to the realm of God or the place where he reigns, but it also refers to the ultimate reign of Jesus as the promised Messiah. So this is kind of an important distinction to make. Earth has always been God's realm in a sense, but Jesus' reign as king did not fully begin until after his death and resurrection. So we just celebrated Christmas, right? And part of the Christmas story we see in in Luke chapter 2 that Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem for a census. And why was it that they had to go to Bethlehem? It's because they were from somebody's family line. Anybody remember who? It was David, right? And so they're of the family line of David. And that's important because in 2 Samuel 7:16, God promises David, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And then in Isaiah 11, verse 1, Isaiah prophesies, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, who is David's dad, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So in the Christmas story, Mary and Joseph travel to Bethlehem because they're from David's family line. And so when Jesus is born, because he is from the family line of David, he is eligible to be this eternal king that Samuel, in the book of Samuel and in Isaiah, he is eligible to be this king that they're speaking of. And so... Uh, We also see, too, in Luke and in Matthew, uh, uh, one of my Sunday school teachers jokingly referred to them as the begatitudes. Uh, You see that so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. All the way through down, you can see Jesus' uh, lineage. And in that lineage, it shows us that Jesus is part of David's family line. And so because of that, we see that the kingdom of God ultimately refers to the reign of Christ, the eternal king. So where does he reign? Well, he reigns in our lives. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we make him the king of our lives. We step off the throne of our lives, and we let him step up and take the throne. We then become a citizen of God's eternal kingdom. So what on earth does it mean to be a citizen? In my wallet, I have a little thing that's a passport card. Uh, We used to live pretty close to the, the Mexico border, and so the easy way to get in and out of the country is to have your little passport card that you just keep in your wallet with you. And so you can just kind of flash that. And so when I, if you go into Mexico or Canada and, and come back across the border, they want to know that you're supposed to be here. And so you take that passport card, or you can take a passport, and you flash that at the border. And what does that indicate? It indicates that you are a citizen of the United States. And so you're supposed to be here. You have the rights and privileges of a citizen. And so you're able to come back into the country and, and come home, basically. And so that, that shows that I am a citizen of the United States. So when I travel abroad, even though I have my US passport or passport card, when I travel abroad, I am not a citizen of that country. And so I don't have the same rights and privileges and responsibilities as a citizen of that other country. So in John 18, Jesus is standing before Pilate, who's deliberating on whether Jesus was actually guilty of crimes worthy of execution or whether he should be released. And so in verse 33, Pilate asks if Jesus is the king of the Jews. And then later in verse 35, Pilate tells Jesus, your own nation handed you over, and so what what are you going to do about that? Pilate assumed that Jesus' citizenship was with the people he lived with, with the the Jews. and, And technically, that was true in an earthly sense. But Jesus responds in verse 36, and he tells them, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Well, if this kingdom wasn't from the world, where was it? It's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And he is the king of that eternal kingdom. So Paul reminds us multiple times that while we may be citizens of the nation that we live in here on earth, citizens of the United States or citizens of another country, We are permanently and ultimately citizens of heaven as well. We have placed our faith in Christ. So Philippians 3.20, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As a U.S. citizen, when I travel abroad, I may not be an ambassador or some type of government official, but whenever I travel abroad, people, I mean, they see me, and they're like, oh, he's totally an American, you know, six-foot-tall white dude, like, we know who this guy is. And and so I represent the United States to the people that I'm around. Uh, and hopefully for the best, hopefully I'm not a jerk to the server, and then they go, well, that must be what Americans are like. Uh, hopefully they see what I do and what I say and the way that I act, and they go, oh, maybe all the things I've heard about Americans aren't true. Maybe they're actually pretty decent people. And so as as citizens of heaven, we also represent the kingdom of God to those around us. And unlike me traveling abroad, We actually are official representatives of God's kingdom. Paul, again, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ. So you are an official representative of the kingdom of God to those around you. Congratulations, you get your special passport, and there you go. So as citizens and ambassadors of the kingdom of God, we are subject to the reign of Christ in our lives. And unlike our earthly nation, our heavenly kingdom will continue on beyond beyond our physical lives into our eternal life and this is why we're told in this passage to seek after god's kingdom and his righteousness we are supposed to live with the longer part of the rope in mind and we're supposed to put the first things first and again what is that first thing seek first the kingdom of god so what is it that interferes with the first thing well frankly anything else in life can interfere with seeking after the kingdom of god It's pretty clear that we are supposed to live with the kingdom of God as our main objective, but it's kind of hard to keep our priorities straight, especially when when you get that bill that comes in, when you're looking at the schedule and trying to figure out how you're going to pack in all the things that need to be packed in. It's really difficult to keep our priorities straight. And I think that's why Jesus precedes this imperative to seek after God's kingdom first with what we find in the rest of this passage in verses 25 through 32. Jesus cautions us not to be anxious. And he doesn't just tell us not to be anxious about little things. He tells us not to worry about the basic essentials of life. The things that Jesus touches on here are the things that would be worth worrying about if there was anything to worry about. Where's my food gonna come from? What am I gonna wear? How am I gonna how am I gonna be safe? How am I gonna add hours to my life so you know preserve myself? Those would be things worth worrying about, right? So verse 25, he talks about food and drink. And I don't know about you, it's certainly possible for us to get caught up in food and drink. I, I'm the kind of guy, I kind of love food, kind of a problem. Uh, <laughs> if I travel somewhere to a conference, uh, you know, I'm the kind of guy who may not remember what the keynote speaker said, but I can tell you about that cool foodie place that I got a burger from downtown. And so sometimes I get distracted by, by food and, and drink, but... You know, food and water are some of the basics that we need to, to sustain life. If you don't have food for too long a period of time and certainly not water, uh, then, then you're not going to be around for very long. But Jesus asks us to consider the birds in verse 26. He says, "Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Have you ever seen a bird farm? I can't say that i have birds don't grow their own food and they have to look for food every day whether that food is some kind of seed or whether they're they're eating some kind of bugs or critters of some kind they've got to go find that and they have to do it every day and somehow they find this food and and they're provided for jesus reminds us that we are even more valuable than the birds and that if god provides for the birds he's certainly going to provide for us You may be familiar with the life and ministry of a guy named George Mueller. Uh, George Mueller is an orphanage director from England. Uh, And by the way, if you've ever met orphanage directors, they don't tend to smile like that. Um, And so George Mueller was a really special guy. Mueller is remembered as a man who simply trusted God to provide for the hundreds of orphans in his care. At one point, he had several thousand orphans who were in a series of homes that he managed. When there was a need, Mueller would not go into debt or write letters to supporters. He would simply pray and trust God to provide for the need. There's not necessarily a problem with those other things, but his philosophy was, if, if I'm more valuable than the birds, and these children especially are more valuable, then, then God's going to take care of us. And so at one point, there's a, there's a famous story that's told about, uh, about George Mueller. Uh, one day, the, uh, the children in Mueller's orphanage woke up, and they were preparing for their day, and what they didn't realize was that there was not a drop of food in the house, and there was no money to get food. This is kind of a problem, right? This is one of those basic necessities. And so Mueller woke up and, and realized this, and, and he reminded his children as they sat down to eat, well, we can't be late for school, so let, let's sit down and let's pray. And so Mueller simply prayed, Dear Father, we thank Thee for what Thou art going to give us to eat. So after he prayed, there was a knock at the door, and he opens up the door, and there's a baker, a local baker. And the baker said, Mr. Mueller, uh, about two in the morning, I felt that I needed to bake bread so your children would have something to eat. And so I, here I am, I've, I've brought this bread that I've baked, and so uh, here you go, you can take this and, and give it to your children to eat. And so Mr. Mueller thanked him for this food and, and took it in. And, and not to be outdone, uh, moments later, there's another knock at the door, And uh, he opened the door and found the milkman. And the milkman said, Ah, my cart broke down uh, just out there in front of the orphanage. Uh, I've got to unload the cart so that I can flip it over and fix it and take care of it. Uh, But I've got to do something with the milk. Are your orphans interested in some milk to drink this morning? Here, take all of this milk and and you guys just, just drink it. I'll come back and pick up the bottles later. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? God promises to take care of our needs as we seek his kingdom first. So Jesus continues in this section, and he talks about clothing. Now, sometimes when we think about clothing, we think about style and fashion and those kinds of things, but really clothing is about more than just style and modesty. Uh, Proper clothing can keep you warm when it's cold, as as we well know. Uh, It can also keep you insulated from extreme desert heat and sun and dryness. And so having the right clothing can easily be the difference between life and death anywhere on earth. And so Jesus reminds us in verses 28 through 30 not to be anxious about even this fundamental necessity. He says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And so Jesus says, I've got this, we're going to take care of this. Jesus also addresses our safety here, So if anybody's familiar with psychology and and Maslow and his hierarchy of needs, uh, at the base of the pyramid is all the basic, basic essentials of life, your food, your water, your warmth, all the things that you need to just operate physically. The next step up is safety, security, those kinds of things. And so if we don't have safety and security, Uh, then then we are unable to continue to grow and to develop. And so you may have the basics to support life, your food and your water, but if you feel unsafe, then you're not going to sit down and read a book and further your education. Uh, You're going to worry about where you can be to be safe, and you want to try and find where you're going to go. Unfortunately, much of our society today becomes obsessed with safety and security. Honestly, if you watch the Weather Channel or cable news for more than five minutes, you're probably ready to go buy a cave in Catron County, New Mexico, stock up on ammo, and, and just kind of hide. But uh, you know, dwelling on social media can even lead us to that. But in verse 27, Jesus reminds us, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Psalm 139:16 also reminds us that God has already determined the span of our lives. And this verse says, "Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them." There's nothing that we can do to add to the number of our days or take away from them. Now, I don't think that means we should be negligent or careless in how we live. And there certainly is plenty of scriptural support for planning and preparing and those kinds of things. But it is certainly possible to lose sight of the first thing when we are anxious about our safety and our security. So why is it that Jesus addresses all of this anxiety before he tells us to seek God's kingdom first? Because our anxiety demonstrates that our focus is here on that little red part and is not on the rest of the rope. Our anxiety causes us to stop trusting God, and we come back to doing things our own way. There's a saying that whenever you point your finger at someone else, that there are three fingers that, that are pointing back at you. Uh, and so, you know, whenever I talk about anxiety, I have to tell people that this, this applies to me probably more than, than most people. You're looking at a recovering worry wart and perfectionist. Hi, my name is James and I'm a worrier. Hi, James. Yeah, um. <laughs> so I used to worry so badly that my sixth grade teacher told me I'd have gray hair before I turned 20, um, and, and I used to think she was joking, but I think she actually was, was kind of serious about that thought. Uh, you can tell that didn't quite happen. I am over 20, and it's not quite gray yet, uh, but I had a come-to-Jesus moment when it came to anxiety, uh, when I was in the ninth grade, um, and I know some of you can can relate to this, and some of you this is polar opposite of, of where you were at, at ninth grade, um, but in ninth grade, I, I was a high-octane student. Um, I, I was actually pretty good at school, and uh, you know, all honors classes, 4.0, unweighted GPA, all that kind of good stuff, and some of you are like, oh, he's one of those, great. <laughs> But I believed I had to do everything necessary to, to get things set up for the future. Um, you know, I, I, We weren't super well-to-do as a family financially, and so I knew if I wanted to go to the right school to study the right things, that was on me. I needed scholarships. I needed to work hard. And so there was all of this pressure to do the best that I could above and beyond, especially because our class was really competitive. Um, and so there was this this sense that I had to do everything that I needed to do um, above and beyond. Uh, And, you know, a typical day for me was something like, you know, start school at 7 in the morning, track practice afterwards, come home, shower, go to work or youth group, come back, homework, and somewhere around 10 or 11 at night, finally crash and get up the next day, wash, rinse, repeat, do the whole thing all over again. And so there's one Thursday evening, I was staring down the barrel of a whole bunch of assignments that were due, thinking, how on earth am I going to get this done? And now, for those of you who, have, who are on this side of ninth grade, you know that it's, it's ninth grade, right? Like, you know, there, there's not something in my credit report that says, well, that health class assignment that you did, mm, you know, uh, that's, that's not there. So, but as a ninth grader, that was my world. Uh, And so I'm thinking, man, I've got these assignments due tomorrow, Uh, you know, finished track practice, went to work, came home. Uh, I constantly missed family dinner, and so there's usually stuff waiting for me in the microwave. Um, And so I I warmed up my food, going upstairs, and and I dropped my food on the floor. Now, that's not a huge issue, but for whatever reason, that day with everything else going on, I just snapped. I kind of lost it. Um, I, I think I, I legitimately had some kind of panic attack or something, a nervous breakdown of some kind. So, you know, moms are awesome. My mom comes upstairs and she looks and kind of figures out what's going on and she says, this is ridiculous, you're staying home tomorrow. And so most of you who are kids, if your mom said, you need to stay home from school tomorrow, you'd be like, Ugh. you know, twisting my arm, all right. That was, I'm weird, that was not me. <laughs> and so I panicked. I was thinking, oh my gosh, how am I gonna get done everything that I need to do? There's no way, I, you know, I've got stuff due, do, and, and what about my coach and all these things? And my mom said, mm bed now, go. So I said, okay, fine. So I went, I crashed hard. Uh, I slept in so late that I missed the prices Right the next morning. So, <laughs> for the, yeah, so for those of you who used to stay home, you know, that's kind of a big deal, right? <laughs> and you know what happened after that? Not much, actually. I thought the world was going to collapse because of my failure to do what I needed to do. And, and yet things kind of went on. The next Monday, I, I had my note from mom, and she said he was sick and stayed home. My teacher said, okay, yeah, just turn in your stuff. Great, thanks. You know, that was, that, that was pretty much it. And so my expectation of what was going to happen just, just completely crumbled. And so... <laughs> When when I realized, just for me personally, that was a moment where I said, you know, I'm focusing on how I can get ahead, and how I can do all these things. And then just through the teaching of my youth pastor over the next couple of weeks, and as I shared that with him, and, and he worked with me on these things, he said, you know, you you need to. It, it's kind of cliche, but you need to let go and let God. I said, oh, what does that even mean? And so we walked through what that meant, and really it meant seeking the kingdom first. And I was not doing that. I was seeking my own advancement and trying to do things my way um, and and trying to achieve the things that I wanted to achieve. And it drove me to that point of breakdown. There's a fictional character named Lemony Snicket. Some of you may be familiar with this guy. But he makes a great point where he says, to hear the phrase, our only hope always makes one anxious because it means that if the only hope doesn't work, then there's nothing left. I think this is why it's so hard to trust God and to make his priority of the kingdom the first thing in our lives. When we choose to recognize that God really is our only hope and the one directing our lives, we actually have to release our grasp and truly allow God to be our only hope. And while we know deep down that he's not going to fail, I mean, he's God after all, right? He created everything. He knows what's happened. He knows what's going to happen. He's got it all figured out but we still fear somehow that he's not going to do it. Maybe he's going to falter or fail in some way. Or if you're like me, uh, maybe we can do things better than he will. Well, I don't know about doing it that way. I want to do it this way. Or maybe we believe we should have something sooner in our lives than we should. But did you catch what Jesus promised about seeking his kingdom first? All these things will be added unto you. It's not that they're not going to be there. as if you seek the kingdom first, the other things fall into line. They fall into place. And so all those things we worry about, that food, clothing, drink, career, job, family, all of those bits and pieces, he's got it covered. And he simply asks us to seek the first things first, to seek the kingdom of God. So as we wrap up, let me be one of the first to wish you a happy new year. I know Nancy did a pretty good job of that earlier too, but uh, I'm a little early, but we've only got a couple of days and then we celebrate the year 2020. Can you believe that? We're five years in the future from when Marty McFly went back into the future, which just kind of blows my mind a little bit. That felt so far ahead, right? And some of you kids are like, what? Um, You know, we don't even have flying cars yet. What's the deal with that? Anyway, as we begin a new year, we often start to talk about commitments that we make to do or to not do something different in the upcoming year. You know what we call those, right? Resolutions. Usually our resolutions focus on self-improvement, and they're things like exercising more, eating a healthy diet, getting more sleep, reading a book, watching less Netflix, all that kind of stuff. And honestly, my resolutions for the year should probably include a couple of those things. But rather than tell you exactly what you should resolve to do in the new year, I want to encourage you, whether you're in here and you're 5, you're 15, or you're 105, go a little deeper than just making some resolutions. I want you to think about if you're putting the first things first, what are you prioritizing in your life? Someone once said, and I couldn't track down who this was for the life of me, but someone once said, show me your calendar and your checkbook, and I'll show you what's really important in your life. Ouch. (laughs) Ouch. Think about that quote for a moment. When you look back at 2019, can you tell what your priorities were in the last 12 months? What did you value the most? Was the kingdom of God the first thing in your life? Were you putting the first things first? Paul cautions us in Ephesians 5 15 through 16 Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So as we begin 2020, Will you resolve to make first things first in your life? This time next year, will you be able to confidently say that you made the best use of the time that you were given, that you sought the kingdom of God first in your life? We're going to have a time of response now. And if you're here today, first things first, if you're here today and you have never made Christ the first thing in your life by placing your faith and trust in him, that should be your first step in seeking the kingdom of God. Because at this point, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, then you're not a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so you haven't put the very first thing first. And so we would love to talk to you about that. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, I want to encourage you, don't leave the doors of this church without doing that. And we would love to pray with you and and to help you to make that decision. But for those of us who are believers, consider what God may be asking you to do to make first things first for you and your your family this year, for 2020. As always, you can respond in your seat, or if you would like for us to pray with you, uh, I'll be up here in the front, and we'll also have two of our elders, uh, Jay Everson and Doug Kyle, will be coming to the front to pray as well. We would love the opportunity to pray with you as you ask for God's help to make the first things first in your life. So let's pray, and then we're going to have a time of response. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. Help us to seek your kingdom first in everything we do. We ask that you would help us see if any of our priorities need to be readjusted and that you would guide us as we realign ourselves to your will and your direction for the coming year and beyond. Thank you for what you're going to do in and through OBC in 2020 and in our lives and through our families. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.